to Texans Unfiltered. And here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. You know we're recording. Are, are we recording now? <laughs> we're recording. <laughs> you okay. want to try that again? You want to try that again? Just go with it. <laughs> a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. <laughs> new, uh, new stream tonight. New toys everywhere. Uh, new everything. So uh, we are uh, trying to step up our game. Uh, sorry, we took a week off last week. Had uh, obviously, like coming off a loss like that, um, you know, we could have done a podcast. We could have gave you guys the instant reaction, tried to garner clicks and get you guys to drive up our plays. But uh, that's just not what we do. We're not we're not like that. I really wanted to rewatch the game, uh, even though it was hard to do. We really wanted to really just kind of let our emotions go and then react instead of us firing off hot takes throughout, which is just, that's not how, that's just not what we do. You guys know that. And so we wanted to come through and have a uh, honest conversation about kind of the state of the franchise, uh, expectations for the offseason, recap the game to an extent. Um, We're not going to probably go X's and O's and talk too much about the schemes and things like that. We'll probably talk more about just the game and how it turned out. Uh, And then um, we'll, we'll just talk through the rest of the stuff that's going on with the Texans right now. John, what up? Hey, I don't want to talk about the game. Well, I, I really don't want to talk about the game. Well, we're here, John, and we we're to. going to talk about it. Yep, 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 yep. Yep. I mean. So where do you want to start? It was fun for a quarter. I mean, that was the most fun I've ever had watching a Texans game in a quarter. I, I don't know if I've ever had as much joy as I've ever had watching a Texans game. It was almost as if, like, everything I set up to that point about, like, this thing, this needs to happen, the luck, and, like, all the things that I laid out, and then the night before the Titans win. So you're just like, and then, boom, 24. Whew, you're like, Jesus, like, this, this really could happen. And yet, while, yes, everybody was excited at, at our watch party, uh... John and I kept looking at each other like, mm, not. I just we don't feel it yet. We just don't feel it. And uh, you know, obviously we saw what happened. And you know, this team. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of blame, and and we'll get we'll get to the Bill O'Brien aspect of this because I think that's a real conversation that needs to be had. Um, and I think the best part about me and John having that conversation is the fact that we're on two different sides of the spectrum, uh, but we both have actual, like, reasons for it, and we aren't just saying it because we lost the game, um, which, uh, you know, we see a lot of exchanges about fire Bill O'Brien, no, don't fire Bill O'Brien, fire Bill O'Brien, he sucks, he's got all the power, he's a blood-sucking leech and all these other things. Um, so we'll get to that conversation. But, John, I think with, with the game and how it happened um, you can definitely point to the offense, right? Definitely played a part. You have to put up points. Even though you have 24, you, you still have to put up points. But that defense was 
I mean, that was the worst defense in the league that showed up in the second quarter. I mean, there is no excuse for whether it's a lack of pass rush or whatever. A lot of it had to do with the scheme and the plan of attack for this defense. A very complacent defense that didn't want to mix anything up and wanted to go with the same look every time. Um, and at the end of the second quarter, it's 28-24. Yeah, I mean, the special teams plays and the special teams plays, both of them, really didn't put the defense, didn't do them any favors. However, having a 24 to nothing lead, even if you give them 14 points, it's still two scores that the defense gave up like it was absolutely nothing. This is one of those where we had talked about the worst position to be in against the, the Chiefs was having to jump out to a big lead. I said that I would be more afraid against the Chiefs if we, if we just jumped out because they have that ability to score so quickly and just run you out of gas. And that's exactly what they did. Um, they, the, def- the, uh, the Chiefs' offense just ran our defense entirely out of gas. Like, we got too hyped, too excited, and it, it went bad. It went bad quickly. Yeah, it went it went bad really quick, and I think that's really I, I think the biggest issue with this is the fact that um, I, I think everybody knew twenty four points wasn't going to be enough for this Chiefs team, and, and a lot or for us to be able to beat this Chiefs team. Um, I don't think I, I don't think any team should be be going into a playoff game saying I need to score fifty. Your defense should be good enough no matter how good that offense is to be able to hold them under 50. But at the Especially same time... to be a playoff team, to be a playoff caliber right. defense. That's what I'm saying. And that was, I, I can't... I mean, I, that comment, when Bill O'Brien said it, I think that's when part of me just inside just died. He's like, oh, we knew we had to score 50 to beat the Chiefs. At that point, my I think that a lot of my defense of him... Just kind of died. I that just don't say fifty. I mean, Jesus Christ, putting a fifty burger up in football, college football, NFL, whatever it is, has always been the biggest like smack in the face to the other team. So to say that we're gonna have to score fifty to beat them means that you had exactly no plan, no hope in your defense, which was kind of telling, and then. If we want to, get, I don't, I'm going to save a little bit for for how Bill for Bill how he coached this game, but yeah, that's I don't know. Just part of me died. Well, so I say that because like you, you should never go into a playoff game, no matter what, saying that you have to score 50 points. And like I said, and there's some, you know, the Chiefs may be one of the best offensive teams in the history of the NFL. It, it may not show like you know, it's not the greatest show on turf. Um, but from a consistent basis year to year, it'd be interesting to see where the Chiefs stack up consistently on offense compared to other teams that had high-octane offenses. And But to go into it thinking that you have to score 50 and you haven't done that all year, um, you know, it's a problem. But at the same time, when you have a 24-point lead, no matter what the outcome of the game is, it should never be lose by 20. Right. Oh, definitely. And and that's that's really like where the I, I think the biggest problem is is the fact that you were up twenty four but yet you still lost by twenty. 
they were still able to cover the spread. And it was how you lost. It was, you know, Lonnie Johnson on Kelsey the entire game, which I honestly thought was going to be a good plan. Lonnie, in this in our first matchup, matched up extremely well with Kelsey. But then I didn't take into account the fact that Lonnie Johnson hasn't played in five weeks. And now we're asking him to cover the best tight end in the league. You know, I don't know if a player is going to be able to just hop off the bench and be like, ready to go. Let me let me try to contain the best tight end in the league. Well, and then the different Lonnie Johnson surprised them in the first game because of how physical he was. Like Lonnie isn't going to take anybody's shit. Like that's probably his best quality. And Travis Kelsey may be the most full of shit out of any player in the NFL. Like you want him to get smacked around. However, he's also incredibly talented, and some of those plays. There's just there was just nothing that anybody really could do because nobody could get to Pat Mahomes in time. And there was that one throw at the at the goal line where he pretty much threw it around a guy. Like I really don't even I I couldn't make a wiffle ball bend like that. And so it just kind of is what it is. You knew Kelsey was going to get his. You were going to hope that Lonnie Johnson just beat the shit out of him for a good three, four quarters, so he'd start dropping the ball when they needed, when they really needed to make big plays. It's just that didn't happen. The Chiefs, for it was almost more like one of those games where one team was way better conditioned than the other. All right. Well, yeah, go ahead, so, go ahead. I mean, more so than anything else. The Chiefs gained momentum, gained steam the entire, entire game. We came out, jumped out to a huge lead, and as soon as we surrendered that lead, all the fight and the and the Texans was gone, all of it. You know, we'll we'll, we'll get to Anthony Weaver later as we talk about the changes. But one of the things that frustrates me the most about this defense, and it was happening all year, was the continuous loss of the fundamentals. Uh, you know, being in the right spot, wrapping up and tackling, just just the fundamentals of playing defense. And in this game, if you would just tighten up those fundamentals, this game would be different. But that just wasn't the case. And there were so many things that were happening where I'm like, why are there three guys? Why is Kelsey in the middle? And then there's a guy here a guy here, and a guy here, but none of them think it's a good idea to get in front of him. Yeah. There was a one point I, where he split I, six I, defenders. I, 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 I don't understand it. it. It makes zero sense. Like, and, and I'm not trying to get angry or anything like that, but like, those are the type of things that you, you coach. Those are coaching. That's all coaching. Those the, You see a guy, guy's job is to catch ball. From behind, you can't stop him from catching ball. You you should probably get in front of him. But yet that, you know, that's not what happened. And that happened on two separate touchdowns. So, um, yeah, I think, look, we knew, we even let everybody know prior to this game that the pass rush was not back. No matter what we saw in the Bills game, this pass rush was not going to be um, the reason why this defense shows up. We thought it could be better, but we never said it was going to be uh, the, the strongest part of this defense just because J.J. is back. And 
Yeah, that's what we saw. I mean, Whitney actually had a really good game against the Chiefs. Rewatching the All-22, he, he doesn't show up in the stat box, but every single time that Patrick was running around, it was because Whitney was on his ass. But, you know, it comes back to, like, the whole clowning and walk conversation that we had at the beginning of the year. All those are great. Forcing him out of the pocket is great, but if he can't finish the sack, then it really doesn't matter, especially when it's Mahomes and he's able to run and throw on the run better than any quarterback in the league. And, you know, that's what happened. He also killed us with his feet. We, we, our, our, our discipline on the outside was just awful. And you would have thought coming off the Bills game that that would have been, okay, hey, we should probably correct and that. As a point, I'm just going to make, he did the same thing to the Titans. Mahomes all Mahomes all year didn't really scramble a lot, and he saved it up. Oh, actually, it was probably more for for the reason that he was hurt for a good portion of the year. But we weren't the only team that all of a sudden he decided to scramble on and make fools out of. But it was incredibly frustrating because it's not like he was moving fast. I mean, he's he's a great athlete. Don't get me wrong, but he was just kind of. It was just one of those where he's just kind of he's going, but he's not like not. Going fast? I mean, I don't know. There's, I can, watching that game, I can kind of understand, not kind of, I do understand the appeal of putting Watson in a Andy Reid um, style of offense. I imagine that Reid would, with an athlete such as Deshaun, he would bring back some of those design runs that he had with Alex Smith that he does not use with Mahomes, and you can kind of see why. Um, because, again, Mahomes, he's not a dual-threat quarterback. But he, he was scampering just enough just enough to be annoying. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what he did to the Titans, I mean, that, that TD run. Um, I mean, it's, I don't want to get on a tangent, but if that guy would have just wrapped up and, and brought him to the ground, they would have kicked a field goal there because there was only 11 seconds left. I mean, they would have taken another shot, but they could have potentially stopped him from scoring and kicked a field goal. But oh, definitely. We're not the podcast, so we'll let Buck Reesing uh, discuss that. But, um, yeah, I think just my biggest takeaway, and, and we'll get to the offense, but my biggest takeaway from the game was just the fact that this defense didn't look prepared. Um, they played single high safety. The entire game. Um, now I don't know. I don't know if a lot of that had to do with the fact that Adai didn't play. Gibson was on IR. Reed was pretty much our only safety. I don't know if that 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 played into the decision to do that. Um, but it seemed like they were just key on stopping Tyreek. If they they felt like if they could stop Tyreek, that they could win the game. And unfortunately, with with the Chiefs, there's just so many weapons that if you key in on one, you're not going to be able to do the other. We, you know, we see it every time they play. But the defense was the biggest disappointment I had. I mean, seven straight drives. I think in all, on all seven of those first touchdown drives, I think like the total time of possession for those drives were like nine minutes and 57 seconds or something stupid like that. That should never happen. I mean, R- Romeo Cornell should have been fired at halftime. I think he retired at halftime. I, I don't care about his legacy. I don't care about what he's done. 
He should have been fired at halftime. I'm pretty sure uh, he re- he retired at halftime, or at least before the game started. Yeah, that was that was weird. I, there's there's no other way to put it. Like he's had a great great career as a defensive coordinator. He's a Hall he's a fame. great resume. He's, he's done a Hall of Fame coordinator. He's done more with less before on personnel. I mean, we had some athletes on our defense. We absolutely do. There are some athletes on that defense, and. You wouldn't have known it against the Chiefs. And I understand that for the beginning of the year, um, that was the way to beat Mahomes. He was struggling against teams that were playing a lot of man. However, that doesn't mean you play only man. You still have to mix in some zone. You still have to mix in. I know you hate zone blitzes, but there's a reason why they're... There's a time for them. Yeah, there's, there's a reason why a lot of the NFL uses them consistently because you can generate pressure while still playing conservatively. Like... Your ability to drop a defensive line into coverage sometimes is all you need to throw Kelsey off his route. You saw it a couple times with the Titans how they would they would line up in man and then spin into a cover two, and that caused enough confusion. I mean, it wasn't enough to win the game, but it was enough to end a couple of drives. I mean, their defense played better against the Chiefs than ours did. Unfortunately, they just didn't have an offense at all, but... Again, well, that's, that's what the Colts did to Deshaun last year yeah. in the wild card round. Uh, and it's just because they're inexperienced quarterbacks. It's not, it takes nothing away from their talent and who they are at quarterback. It's just giving them different looks that they're not used to seeing and throwing them off their game a little bit. And yeah. when you do that, you're going you're gonna to succeed and, and force them to punt occasionally. But that wasn't the case for us. We right. just went same defense every single drive. And this was Romeo Cornell for years was known – for just completely mind-fucking first, first and second-year quarterbacks. Like, that was his thing. And then this year, especially this year, he seemed to lose it. So, yeah, if we're going to just jump to that conversation, we can. But, I mean, for this game... Specifically, like he didn't need the defense to come out and give an A plus performance. He didn't need the defense to come out and do a B plus performance or a C performance. All he needed was a D performance because we had jumped up to that huge lead. It's like you know what? We didn't add to it. We didn't add to it. I would say C, just given the fact that we didn't really put it together on offense. If we take what we got from the offense after the first quarter, a D would not have held us like kept us in the race you would have needed at least a C to be able to keep us in the race. I mean, they only put up seven more points after the first quarter. So, um, you know, the worst, you know who I feel we're like the, the most for right now on this defense? Who's that? Every single corner on our team. Oh, definitely. Because, uh, I feel like this fan base came out of the like I feel like going into this game the fan base was starting to come around on the secondary. I feel like they were starting to think, okay, this is this is a secondary I could ride with for the next couple of years. This is they're young, uh, you know. Conley, I, I don't know if people realize how good actually Gary Conley really is for this team. I mean, he he pretty much single handedly saved the Bills game. Yeah, and then Roby has been great. And then, you know, I know Hargreaves has had, you know, some some mix-ups here and there, but from an effort perspective, considering that's what he was cut for, 
I can't say that I've seen a lack of effort from Vernon Hargraves. So the team should feel good about that, but the fact that Mahomes had like six to seven seconds to stand in the pocket and do whatever he wanted to do, those corners, there's nothing you can do. You could have seven Daryl Revises and seven seconds, Daryl Revis is going to get caught on. It's just the way it works. Well, it was those scrambles when Mahomes would break contain. Right. Those, at that point, the corners are just, I mean, they're just fucked. They're SOL. And, yeah. you know, I like, I'd, I'd seen a couple of times, it's like, you put Lonnie Johnson at the other safety, Justin Reed, safety, that works. And then you have Conley, Hargraves, and Roby. That's a good secondary. That That's a secondary that can improve over the next couple of years. It's a good young one. Um, like, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. And however, they're going to hear all, all season and probably even half of next year, how badly they got roasted by the Chiefs. The only thing that I will say that will probably be good about that performance for the Chiefs is Roby isn't going to be able to go out there and ask for the contract that I, that he would have been otherwise able to do so. I think that that game did bring his value down a little bit because if he had left, if if he had gone out there and they just completely shut down Tyreek Hill, they had managed the Chiefs even if we didn't, even if we still ended up losing. I think Roby goes out there and gets not a uh, probably a, a tier two cornerback uh, contract, so probably about I don't know fifteen to sixteen million a year, and now I think that's probably going to drop down to about thirteen to fourteen, which it's probably a good thing for us because, I mean, here's the truth. In the NFL, everybody kind of always remembers your last game played, and that kind of shapes the narrative on you for the rest of the season or the rest of the offseason. Yeah, I mean, we got a, well, we don't have a long time because March is, is just right around the corner when free agency starts. But, um, I mean, it looks like we're moving on from Reader. And if that's the case, then there should be no reason we can't re-sign Roby. Um, but at the same time, I think another part that we need to take into consideration is the fact that this defensive coordinator that we have now, and Anthony Weaver, is not Romeo Cornell. And his, his process is likely going to be quite a bit different from Romeo. Now, with that being said, if Romeo is still on the staff and this is a Vrabel year where Romeo is letting him implement his defense, then, okay, we have some concerns. But given Anthony Weaver's past and coming up in the Rex Ryan defense, we should see a much more aggressive defense. Um, and these corners that we have, their, their physical attributes and the way they play corner – should fit the mentality of this defense moving forward. It's going to be interesting to see what tor- what type of um, defense that Anthony Weaver puts together. Anthony Weaver puts together. He's coming from Rex Ryan's school of thought, which is pressure, pressure, pressure. And you leave your corners kind of out there to kind of fend for themselves. So you have to have quality corners. Because they're gonna they're gonna blitz they're gonna throw a lot of people at you um, so it will be interesting to see especially 
I think that if we leave this group intact, they can do it. But like you said, when you have four, five, six, seven seconds to throw, anytime you have more than three seconds to throw, you can't ask anything out of a sec out of the secondary. And when you break contain like that, I mean, we've seen it on our work in our favor uh, hundreds of times already from Deshaun when he's able to bust loose and and find receivers that otherwise wouldn't be open. You can't judge the corners too harshly on this. Now, the problem that we got to figure out is how on earth are we going to pressure the quarterbacks? That's the biggest thing, and that's something we'll have to get into later in the season. This isn't the podcast for that, but we're going to have to figure that out. Um, I mean, all in all, like with this with this game and kind of how it, how it unfolded, you know, it sucked. It, it it totally sucked. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with. It it, it's, it fucked up my whole week. Uh, it, it really just messed with me because you hit the ultimate high that you could hit in a playoff game in that first quarter. So because you hit the ultimate high – that come down was so fast and so hard on your emotions and your just your mental capacity that as a fan, you, there's only one way to go at that point. It's all the way to the right and crazy. There's nowhere else for you to go. You can't be logical about it because all that goes out the window when you give up a 24-point lead in literally a quarter. Um. So it sucked. But, like, I don't think – like, I don't look at this team and I don't look at this organization, even everything that's happening right now, I don't look at this organization and I think to myself, we're going nowhere and we're going nowhere fast. I, I just don't feel that way. And I think once all these things start to figure out, you know, they get everything figured out and Casario's here and everything else starts to happen. I think we'll all feel a little bit better, but I mean, it just sucks. It sucks, but it's over. And like the season is over and it happens and like nobody expected us to win the game anyway. So we should have went in with the expectations that that was going to be the case. I still think that we match up really well with this team. I think any other defensive coordinator, we would have won that game. And I mean like any other defensive coordinator, um, Romeo called an awful game. And I think it's hard for the offense, too. Like, this is the part where, you know, people that are blaming the offense, well, you only put up seven more points. 31 points should have been enough. At the end of division divisional weekend, the Texans were the second highest scoring team through the playoffs. And as far as that, their 31 points score gets the Chiefs. The rest of the games were like 28, 26, 22, like 16. None of them reached the 30s other than the Chiefs and the Texans. 31 points is enough. And I think as an offense, it's kind of hard to go out there and after watching your defense give up seven straight TD drives, that has to be just as deflating on the offense as it is for everybody else. I mean, at that point, you just know that you're going to score just so that the other team can go on the field and score because you're not going to force them to punt. Uh, so Well, I mean, I've seen teams that 
their offenses do rise to that occasion where they're like, well, our defense can't stop them, so we're just going to score every single time. So to me, that was actually a little bit concerning that our offense didn't didn't rise to that to that challenge. I mean, we the, we had the personnel in our offense. The Chiefs' defense was something that we had proven time and time that we could beat, um, and it just didn't really happen. We they as bad as the game that Rack called Bill O'Brien on on the offense. There, I kind of disagree with you. They're not. They're not absolved from this. 31 points, yeah, that's that's good. Like 31 points should have been enough to win a divisional round game. It absolutely should have been. However, we've seen it seemed like we went in with the plan that we we're going to score 50, and then uh, towards the end of the first quarter, instead of the plan being we're going to score 50, all of a sudden we kind of hesitated for a little bit, and it's like we're going to try and maintain this. And but we didn't fully commit to to that. We kind of hesitated. I've read sometimes that the worst decision is the failure to make any sort of decision, and I feel like that's what kind of happened with the offense. They couldn't decide if they're going to try and just grind the lead out or if they're going to continue to try and pile it on. And you could literally see that in in the uh, the fake fu- fake punt call and the not going for it on fourth down. Like that's where you could see the indecisiveness by deciding to kick the field goal instead of going in on to fourth, okay, we're going to try and ease we're going to try and ease up, we're going to just try and eat as much clock as possible. And then turning around and trying to do a fake field or a fake punt on the Chiefs side of the ball. It's like, okay, so now we're back to sco- trying to score 50. That is literally yeah, but, John, but there's a part that you're missing on both of those. The the fourth and one, he had a play call in and the offense was on the field. It wasn't executed by the offense, and the time and the and the uh, what I always forget with that damn is it the play clock? The play clock. The play clock was down to five seconds, and nothing happened. They had to waste the timeout. I think at that point he was like, okay. The, and this is where I was thinking, like, it's fourth and one. You were gonna go for it. The offense didn't go out and execute the play, so you had to call a timeout. You can either call a timeout and get three points where you have all the momentum right now, or two, you could go for it and not get it, and then the momentum shifts at that moment. Well, going for, going for the field goal shifted the momentum. We no, agreed. It. We definitely saw way, it there. I think either way it wouldn't have mattered, unless you get it, right? Like, I think there's three scenarios. Like, no matter what happens outside of converting on that fourth and one, the momentum would have swung. And I think from his perspective, he's like, I already called the timeout. If I call a timeout and we don't get it, then I lose. I'm, I'm losing both scenarios. And I think going for it was actually, like kicking the field goal was actually right at the time. Oh, I completely disagree. You, uh, he, he had it right when he was going for it. He should have gone for it. I said that. As soon as I sat down, once they kicked the field goal, I'm like, they should have gone for it. Again, you have the lead. You've got them pinned back. If you don't get it, your defense is still coming out there on fire. But when you just go and get a field goal at that point, it's just kind of like, meh. It's not necessarily that you lose the momentum, but you lose you lose the fire. I mean, it's, it's okay to turn the ball over on downs and let them get a big stop because they're so deep in their territory. Whereas... Rolling over and kind of easing up 
it's it's a mental decision. And at that point, that's literally where you could kind of see the Texans kind of like you could see it in their body language. That's where they kind of lost it. I think originally when it goes to those decisions, I think like when you're putting the play call in to go for it and then it's not executed, I think the momentum of being able to go for it and pick it up, I think from an offensive aspect, you're thinking like, okay, time's already gone on. Like if we were going to go for it, we had to go for it right then and there. And now it's like, okay, now we either take the points or go for it. And they know we're going to go for it. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I still think, that, I just think that there's a lot more that goes into it. I, like, if he would have went for it on the first time, great, you know, whatever. I actually still think the fake punt was fine. I understand the philosophy where everybody's like, oh, my God, but you didn't go for it on fourth and one, and you decided to go for it on fourth and three on a fake punt. It's like, okay, yeah, but in between that time and this time, the momentum has changed. So now I have to do something to try to get that momentum back. And, it just I, didn't work. I have no problem with the fake field goal call or the fake punt call. For me, it showed indecisiveness. That's all. That's the point I was trying to make. I wish he had gone for it instead of kicked the field goal. Yes, I don't have any problem with him trying to go for the fake field goal or the fake punt. Why do I keep calling it a field goal? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I have no problem. I wish that they had done. There's a couple of other designs. So Justin Reed would have had a blocker in front of him. Um, there's a couple of other fake designs that I wish they had gone with instead of the one that they went with. Instead of asking him to beat one player. He was essentially trying to outrun Sorensen to the angle. And he hesitated instead of just fully committing towards the angle. If he Correct. if he commits and he goes for that angle, he gets he would it. Have gotten it. Yeah. Yep. So it really wasn't the wrong call. It wasn't the wrong play, even though I think that if he had had a blocker, he gets it easily. It's just the indecisiveness behind it because you could kind of see where the Texans were trying to decide if they were going to try and milk the clock or if they were going to try and pile it on. And, yeah, to me it felt like they just they had a plan and then they deviated from the plan and then they couldn't figure out what their plan was going to be anymore. Because there, there was others after the, after, the, uh, after the punt that kind of led to that. There was other play calls where he would run the ball – and then he wouldn't run the ball, and then he would just very, very conservative on the passing. And it was – if the game wasn't so painful for me to watch again, I probably – we'll probably actually have a full breakdown of this game probably about midway through the offseason when it's not still so fresh. Because, again, it was the highest of the highs, man. And then that just that come down was so painful. And to go out there and actually chart everything that – I'm talking about right now instead of just that's gonna that's gonna be painful to do, but you could see it in the play calling that he got indecisive for about a quarter where he couldn't figure out what he was trying to do, and that's when the Chiefs got back into it, and then they went into oh shit panic mode, and they just couldn't turn it back on. Yeah, no, I think one of the things that I don't think gets talked about enough when it came to this game and kind of exactly what you're talking about and the indecisiveness of Bill O'Brien with the play calls was really more of the fact that I I think having a big lead in the regular season is one thing. I think having a big lead in the playoffs is a completely other. And 
while Bill O'Brien this year has shown that he's capable of putting together a game plan to beat the teams that we haven't been able to beat in the past, I feel like this is just another experience thing for Bill O'Brien. Um, like, okay, we had a lead. I probably could have milked the clock more, which is def- I, I definitely think that's what he should have done. I would have much rather seen him run run the ball, especially when you see that against this defense you can run the ball. Chris yeah. Jones was out. Like, there was no reason for us to not run the ball and continue to try to just gain momentum while running. They could have um, gone to a borderline option game with rotating between Bashan between Deshaun, Duke, and Carlos Hyde and just attack the Chiefs that way, still aggressively running the ball. You know, you just watch the 49ers do it. I mean, again, Shanahan... a much better defense. Yeah. Again, Kyle Shanahan is a hell of a play caller. He really is. But there's ways that you can attack another team aggressively running the ball. And we've shown at times, and this is the part that is the most frustrating thing about Bill O'Brien, he has shown the ability to come up with absolutely creative game plans with creating running packages with creative packages that take care or take advantage of Deshaun's athleticism and the time that he could have pulled out a half dozen plays that we have played that we have ran successfully this year he didn't yeah and he he just didn't and I don't understand why he didn't and I, I know the thought process behind it is his preferred style of offense is Deshaun is essentially an offensive coordinator on the field that Deshaun can go out there, see what needs to be done, and attack it. But I love Deshaun. However, that is too much responsibility for a third-year player. I agree. And Really a second-year player. Right, really a second-year player. I mean, he's had three years to study tape, but it's not even knowledge, because I think Deshaun knows sometimes, and this is why I think sometimes he kind of gets in his own head. It's that humble aggressiveness that you have to kind of balance. There is times where Deshaun's biggest shortcoming is he does not care what the other defense is going to do. He thinks he's going to he's going to do better. I've said this a hundred times. I'll probably say it on every podcast, but that is Deshaun's weakness. At times, you do need a coach telling Deshaun, here's the script. You're going to go out here and do these things. Because Deshaun, as an athlete, can do it. Deshaun, as being the coach on the field, He's not quite there yet. In four or five years, I think that he'll be able to do – ultimately, I think that if we're going to have the Bill O'Brien discussion on whether he should stay or should he go, I think Bill O'Brien would be a better coach for Deshaun five years into his contr- into his career than he is currently. When Deshaun no longer has the ability to rely on his athleticism as much as he can and where he has to get a little bit smarter about reading defenses – and he's been humbled where he knows that he can't just go out there and just be Deshaun and beat them. And at this point, if you had somebody that was creative with the play calling, and this, again, there's a difference between creative, sophisticated, um, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't think Bill O'Brien's offense is dumb. And I don't think that it's too difficult for him, for Deshaun to grasp. I'm not saying either one of those things. What I'm saying is the style of offense that it is, doesn't take care, take advantage of the type of athlete that Deshaun is currently. And the frustrating part about that is Bill O'Brien knows because he's put plays in that has done everything that we've asked. He has put in packages that and game plans that 
are up there with some of the best called games over the past five years. He really has. When Deshaun, when they brought in all those Clemson plays and Deshaun's rookie year, and some of those packages, again, they wouldn't have a long-term effect. Like, they wouldn't have lasted a long time in the NFL. The NFL probably would have already figured them out three years in. Yes, he would have put Deshaun probably at more risk for getting hurt to do it, but those plays were borderline unstoppable. And he stopped. And when he could have pulled some of those tricks out of his bag, you know, again, if he had pulled more of those out against the Chiefs, you know, do anything, win or go home. And he didn't. He's still stuck to this idea that Deshaun is as mature as a 28, 29, 31-year-old Tom Brady when Deshaun's not there yet. He's a way better athlete, so maybe we should take care of that, take that, that athleticism and use it. And, I mean, and I, the sad part is, and it's probably also one of his greatest things, he also hasn't been humbled enough by the NFL quite yet. Well, so to kind of answer all of that, I think with um, to touch on the on that last part, you know, I think the humbling aspect, I think all comes in time. Like when it comes to Bill O'Brien's tenure as the Houston Texans head coach, I've actually learned to divide it between two eras. I have the pre-Deshaun Watson era, and then I have the I have the Deshaun Watson era. I so I don't I don't count anything that happened before Deshaun got here. And when I look at what he's done with Deshaun, yes, I understand from you know all that. But then I also look at like the things that he did do this year that made me feel much more confident going into this season that he took a step in the right direction. Beating the Chiefs. Season opener against the Saints, we were in it the entire game. We were actually leading through the uh, until the third quarter. Beating the Patriots. Um, beating the Colts on four days rest. Those types of games, to me, just signify that he actually is learning. But because those games were one outweighed by the Broncos and the Ravens and then also his past, I don't think people realize the fact that he actually has improved. And when he needs to improve, he does. And so to me, like when I look at a head coach and I think, okay, these are the areas he's getting better at, that makes me think, okay, next year there's another step he's going to take. I don't know what that step is, but I believe that there's another step he's going to take, and we just haven't seen it yet. So, and when you talk about the humbling aspect, losing from after being up 24 to nothing, there's probably no more of a humbling experience as a head coach that you're going to experience other than that. And while it sucks, and from a fan's perspective, it's not okay, and I get it, it's not okay, uh, but it happened. And we also know Bill O'Brien's not going to be fired this year. So in my mind, I already know that he's here. So I can either sit here and bitch about it. I can be upset about something that brings me joy and something I, I love and I want to talk about every day 
right? And that I do a podcast for and that I text John about and we meet up. I, I could be pissed off for three hours every Sunday and just not enjoy any of it. Or I can just deal with the fact that, if anything, this is Bill O'Brien's last year here if he doesn't succeed. And I truly believe that. Whether it's Casario or Cal McNair, it doesn't matter. If he does not win, I don't believe he'll be the head coach after next year. And I don't mean win a Super Bowl, but I mean like heavily go in. We're going to the AFC Championship. Maybe we make the Super Bowl, whatever it would be. And I think when I look at him in the Deshaun Watson era, I just I do see improvement. It may not be there statistically, but I see improvement. And I see that Deshaun is getting better. You know, entering the season, well, like through week four, we kept talking about how he it wasn't improving on picking up blitzes. And then towards the latter part of the season, we started to see that he was actually getting a lot better at picking up blitzes and recognizing those blitzes and diagnosing the defense. Now he needs to take that next step of anticipating his throws. I think Bill O'Brien's working on that with him. While I agree with you that, yes, ideally in Bill O'Brien's mind, it would be preferred for him to have Deshaun at 28-29, where he has the experience and he has the ability to run the offense at the highest level that Bill O'Brien wants. But I also think that Bill O'Brien understands that that's just not the case. And I think he's just trying to take him along slowly. But because we see Lamar Jackson and we see Patrick Mahomes, we automatically as fans get pissed off and think, why can't this happen to our quarterback because he is that good? He is on the level of Jackson and Mahomes. He really is. But because he's not doing what they're doing, we automatically assume that he's not developing and he's not becoming the quarterback that we think he should be, and we blame Bill O'Brien for that. And – I just don't think that's the case. I'm not going to disagree with anything that you've said because I actually you've made some great points and I do agree with you. The point that I have and the reason that it really stings is getting to the divisional round as much as everybody has to kind of talk about, oh, if we only get to the divisional round, that's a big disappointment. no. This is a rare event. I mean, y'all, seriously, this is a rare event to get to go to the playoffs. I know it's easy. It is really easy to forget that. Some teams go a decade or more without even playing in a wild card game. It's tough to sit there and watch. The, tit- or the, uh, the Titans go to the AFC Championship. The Jaguars have gone to the AFC Championship. And the Colts have gone to the AFC Championship. And the Texans haven't. I mean, for all of our division titles, we haven't been to the AFC Championship. and That's tough. And that's kind of also my point. When you have your chance, go out there and get it. And I think that Bill O'Brien had everything in front of him to go out there and get it. And I think that there was enough plays in his playbook, and I think that he's shown enough in his playbook that when he really reaches outside of it, he can game plan with the best of them. And when he needed to game plan, like really put together a stellar game plan, for whatever reason, he didn't. And that, to me, is what's frustrating. I think... In defense of Bill O'Brien, I think that he's actually putting together a great football foundation in Houston. Now, there's that tweet going around that 
since 2000. Every Super Bowl coach has has made it to the uh, AFC Championship within four years. And the only two that hadn't on their fourth year actually won the Super Bowl. So based on that, like, it's not going to happen with Bill O'Brien. Okay, fair enough. It may not happen with Bill O'Brien, but I think that he's going to put enough pieces in place that the next guy could. And I'm just beginning to think that we're getting closer to that ne- to the next guy. Like, you look at the moves that he's made. You look at the players that he's brought in. He's actually doing a pretty good job. Now, I think that Rick Smith was better at identifying stars than Bill O'Brien. However, Bill O'Brien has been a lot better at finding those role players that we never had. And just, we're getting to a point where you're starting to see guys year in, year out, graduate from the practice squad and start to contribute to the team. Like, this isn't like a like the one or two undrafted free agents that come out of nowhere that, that Rick Smith would find every other year. This is guys that are developed and developed into solid role players that get second contracts and once you start to see those things, that shows that a team is kind of stabilizing and kind of maturing. However, I really do believe Bill O'Brien may be better as like a football executive, like guiding the franchise but not actually coaching it. And if you take a look at it or take a listen to some of our podcasts, some of the things that we've hit on where Bill O'Brien has been able to pull these game plans He's just wonderful game plans. He's done it before. And, but then you take what Lance Zerline said, who, who's usually pretty pretty connected in Houston. Um, him and Jason Braddock both, whenever they say something that pisses you off, you don't want to believe it, and then enough stuff comes out afterwards that you're like, damn it, they were right. So him saying that the changes and the Bill O'Brien, it's not so much that I think that James is right that he's not making these drastic adjustments to the game plan, but the fact that he is doing them after the walkthroughs because he's so busy is more of the concern because he has too much on his plate is more of a concern. And if he... He almost seems to learn lessons a little too hard. In the beginning, he delegated too much out, and he got burnt. So he's gone from delegating too much out to trying to consolidate too much. And I think that it's just he's got to get better about finding the right people and getting back to, to delegating and trusting those guys again. Well, and I think that's where, like, Casario and Casario bringing his guys in to let Bill O'Brien be able to do that. While at the end of the day, like, I look at this season, most people look at this season as a failure. I mean, what is it, John? Bill O'Brien's been to the playoffs, what, every year but one? Not a lot of coaches could say that. For everybody that says Bill O'Brien's the Marvel Lewis of, oh, but two, two seasons? So four out of six, he's been to the playoffs. And everybody says, like, Bill O'Brien's the Marvin Lewis for the Texans. Marvin that, Lewis that, never that's not a That's not a bad thing, though. Like, the Bengals were the a hot mess. The Bengals the playoffs. Yeah, Bengals. So, Bengals. Marvin, Marvin Lewis, Lewis never got to never. We never. beat Marvin Lewis in the playoffs. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. Cincinnati Bengals. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Marvin Lewis. No, we didn't. The uh, Watt pick six was against the Marvin Lewis coach team. 
I'm looking it up right now. I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure of that. that okay, a, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Never won a playoff game. Okay. That, that, there we go. That's what I thought you were trying to say. There we go. But yeah. Four and, you know, seasons, Bill O'Brien has won a total of three. And. And Marvin Lewis was in Cincinnati for like 10 years. And you also got to remember the hot mess that the franchise the Bengals wore before Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis came in, he stabilized them, he moved them up. Now, did the McNairs make the wrong call deviating from the Kubiak tree? I mean, if you look around the league, yeah. But how could you have known that at the time? No, you couldn't have. And, I mean, Kyle Shanahan, yeah, he was our offensive coordinator. And if Kubiak was able to coach a couple of more years, and I think they would have let him if he didn't have the stroke on the field. Like, here's the truth. I think the only reason, even though that season the wheels just completely fell off, and we got the number one pick because that season was so bad, which ended up being clowny. But seeing how the McNairs kind of operated, I think that if Kubiak doesn't have that stroke, I think that Kubiak would have coached for the Texans for another couple of years, and then maybe Shanahan would have taken over. Maybe. But I mean, I mean that's, that's one of those, like, that it, the odds of that happening just – it, it wasn't going to happen, and you weren't going to promote him up. And they had to go outside the organization at the time because, yes, it's great to look around and see all of our former assistants and graduate assistants coaching everywhere in the league now. It's one of those things that at the time they were too young. Nobody would have given him a chance at that time. If no, he turned, at that time. Yeah, I mean, he was like 28. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just, but that's all hypotheticals, anyways. Like right now, where that situation isn't going to help us. But I, I just think no. I'm just I'm just tired of the people. I'm tired of the people pointing it out and and fussing about it. Because yeah, it's pretty cool, but it was never realistic for the for the Texans because of the timing. No, I agree. I just think when you look at Bill O'Brien's resume and what he's accomplished, like yes, is it a Super Bowl? No. Is it an AFC Championship? No. But, like, in six years, he's done quite a bit. And he's changed this culture, in my opinion, like you said, to build the, on the foundation that he's done. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bill O'Brien is a part of this team for a very long time. May not be as head coach, but I would almost guarantee that there's an executive position waiting for him whenever they decide that there's somebody else waiting on the head coaching position. And that may end up being sooner than later. Like, it, to be honest with you, if for some reason this offseason, when Casario comes, if Josh McDaniels comes, I wouldn't be surprised if with that VP of personnel that we lost in Chris Olsen became Bill O'Brien or became Casario and Bill O'Brien became general manager. And I know that's like a far-fetched. I'm not saying it's happening. What I'm saying is, is if that happened, I would not be surprised. I really wouldn't. And... Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's next year. But I still think that Bill O'Brien is going to be a part of this franchise for a very long time. And you can just see it by the way that Cal McNair is handling this right now. You know, there's a lot of tweets. Like you were talking about the tweet that's going around about since the 2000s. There's also a lot of tweets going around about how Cal McNair is basically not Jerry Jones. How he's letting Bill just do what he wants to do to build a strong football franchise and organization. 
And you have to ask yourself, which would you rather have? Would you rather have a Jerry Jones micromanage and not let the football guys do the football stuff? Or would you rather have a guy hire somebody to do the football stuff and let that go? Now you well, can you've, got to, you've got to remember that Cal was actually talking for him and and for his father when a couple of years back when they said that the Texans were striving to be – they're striving to follow the Steelers' model. So with the Steelers, if you notice, they developed their own coaches. It's, yep. They all their coaching tree has direct links. Um, Tomlin has direct links to their first coach way back when. Like they developed the culture, they've stuck to it, and that's what the Texans have wanted to do. Again, uh, that was kind of the point I was trying to make. Again, it looks like maybe the QBX Shanahan culture was the one that we wish we could have gotten, but you know what? That didn't happen. What happened is when we had to go out and get a head coach a lot sooner than they ever planned to do, they went out and got the top head coach on the market at the time. If you go back and look at all the tweets, Reddit, po- Reddit posts, Bill all, O'Brien, the, Bill O'Brien, all, Bill O'Brien. The, all the news articles, everything, everybody wanted Bill O'Brien. There was teams that were debating whether or not they should fire their coach to go get Bill O'Brien. The McNairs put up the full court press on him. They got him. They got the guy that everybody else wanted. He was the coach in demand. There's a reason why two years in when they were when we didn't have a quarterback and there was rumors going around that Bill O'Brien might be fired, that there was teams hoping he would be fired. That's why he really I didn't seem to think that's the case. I, I actually agree with you. That there's a lot of franchises out there that would love to have Bill O'Brien as their head coach running their football operations, which is what he's doing here. Now, we're all six years in. We want our new toy. We want our shiny new toy. We're getting a little aggravated because we have a quarterback that is something special. And I'm, I'm, and I get it. I'm, I'm aggravated there too. But here's the thing. He's, James is right. He is our coach. And he's going to be our coach next year. Like it or not, he's going to be our coach next year. And I'm probably going to spend quite a bit of this offseason just kind of going coulda, woulda, shoulda, because it's the offseason. What else do we have to do? And I'm at the moment right now that if he can't find himself an offensive coordinator, that I'm on the Bill O'Brien, get rid of him. Um, It's time to move on. But I'm not going to get that wish. Nobody's going to get that wish. He's, He's here. So I guess... We just got to kind of suck it up and deal with it. Also, you're not going to get the wish of an offensive coordinator either. I so know. everybody can kind of, when you blow your birthday candles out next week, whoever's listening has a birthday, just just know that you're wasting a wish if that's your wish. Because that's not going to happen. Tim Kelly's going to be the guy, just like George Gotze was the guy, just like Sean Ryan was the guy. That's just the way this works. Wrong, right, at this point, doesn't matter. But... I'll say this, like, if if we get this team consistently next year, uh, the same team that showed up against the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Colts, the Saints, is there really that much to complain about? So, all right, let's get to um, let's get to some of the moves that are happening right now. So, uh, Romeo Cornell was relieved of his uh, defensive coordinator duties. Uh, it's not clear as to what his role will be with the team, if there will be a role. Uh, for him on this team as of right now. Um, I would expect him to be on the team at some capacity. Um, 
So maybe a defensive assistant or assistant head coach, whatever it was that he did during the variable time. But Anthony Weaver has been promoted to defensive coordinator of the Houston Texans. Um, well, I'm actually for everybody that's ready to – well, we're going to have to fuss about Rack a little bit more. Because remember, he's supposedly going to be the doing the same thing that he did when Vrabel took over as defensive coordinator. When that yeah. happened, he was the guy that was in charge of timeouts. He was the guy in charge of challenges. He was the one that was in charge of clock management and all those little things. So be prepared. Be prepared. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Weaver, you know, I, I like I like Anthony Weaver. Um I, I, from what I hear, Seth Payne put out a really, really good tweet. Um, actually, let me see if I can find it because it's actually really, really good. Um, and it it really kind of explains his thought process on the stuff that happened with Anthony Weaver. Uh, all right, here we go. He says, I'm very excited about my old teammate Anthony Weaver as DC of the Texans. As a player, he really had a grasp of defensive philosophy. You to love hearing him talk about the way Rex Ryan ran the Ravens' defense. Two, there is zero BS with this guy, and players respect that. Three, he cares very much about teaching technique. You'd be surprised how many DC's uh, defensive coordinators do not. One reason Patriots' defense gets better over the course of the season is that they focus solely on technique. If any of those things are true. Now, if all of those things are true, I feel better about the defense already. Um, and Anthony Weaver's been with Bill O'Brien. Um, you know, I think I think it's kind of his time to shine. I, I'm glad, like, to get a different looking defense. Like Romeo has this philosophy and what he does. It's nice to see a change in philosophy potentially with Anthony Weaver, which is what excites me the most. I'm a big fan of a Rex Ryan defense. I love how aggressive they are. Um, they always seem to be very technically sound. And if that's the case, then I think this team is, is poised to have a bounce back here. Now, when I say bounce back here, I mean, you know, 18, 19, 20, because they don't have the ability to add too much to this defense. Uh, but I think just the change alone will be good for this team. Yeah, Weaver's exciting. He's... Again, Rex Ryan's school of thought. Hopefully it was early years Rex Ryan, not the last couple of years when Ryan got conservative. But if it's that Rex Ryan ultra-aggressive, I'm all for it. We've been, we have been begging, pleading, crying just about weekly for more, um, more aggression from our defense. So hopefully we'll get it. Um, Weaver's a former player. Lots of times that tends to work out in a good way. So we'll see. Yeah, it was, um, from what I remember, I could have sworn it was the New York Jets, Rex Ryan. Well, he actually uh, played for him under on the Ravens. He coached I know with he played them. for him on the Ravens. He was like a, a quality control coach on the defense for the Jets, but he played for him when he was with the Ravens. Yeah, he was actually the assistant defensive line coach for the Jets. Um, so that's great. I, you know, uh, fresh blood, fresh philosophy. I don't think people realize like how important a fresh voice actually is when it comes to coaching. Hearing the same thing all the time, hearing the same mottos and slogans and approach the same all the time, every day, the same thing. 
becomes very boring, becomes very bland. I think when you hear a different voice and different things and different teachings, people's ears tend to perk up and they listen. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm happy about it. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a great decision. We'll find out. But um, it's better than Romeo running the defense moving forward. And yeah. for me, that's enough to make me feel better. And to support James's point or er, earlier, everybody just wants a shiny new toy. Well, you've got your shiny new toy. I mean, he's a, a new defensive coordinator, brand new. Yes, he's in-house, but he's not the same um, coaching tree. He's not a Patriots coach. Um, so brand new, shiny new toy, should be a brand new philosophy, should be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, all right, the um, other exit, which I think me and you will probably have more of a problem with, uh, is just John Pagano leaving. Um I think, I mean, I know we coached our outside linebackers, but I don't really think he was given a ton of talent to really work with. Like, I think Brennan Scarlett is Brennan Scarlett. I think Whitney was already kind of here when he came. Um, But everything I've read about John Pagano as a coach is he's a really, really well-respected coach that is very good at what he does. And I don't know. I found that a little bit surprising. I I don't I don't understand it either. Um, the only thing I can figure is he was responsible for the outside linebacker rotation, and there was a couple of games. I mean, most recently the uh, Chiefs playoff game, where maybe we kind of should have had our pass rushers on the field more than we had our run stoppers, and we had our run stoppers yeah. on the field. Yeah. So, if it's one of those where it's just a simple. Um, you know, he went into his end-of-season review, and they were like, what What were you thinking? And he was like, don't tell me what to think. I'm a good coach. And he probably got – that's how I see it going in my head because it just doesn't make any other sense otherwise. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see who moves into that spot. If I had to guess, it would either be Brian Cushing or Akeem Dent. I'm assuming Brian Cushing because – Bill O'Brien loves Brian Cushing. So Bill O'Brien could easily probably had dinner with, like, Brian Cushing and his wife on Saturday night and was like, hey, I know you've never done outside linebacker. I know it's a totally different uh, position. Two games. He played it for two games. Right. (laughs) So I know it's a whole new position that you've never really played and you don't understand the technique fully, but here's what I'm thinking. You should be our outside linebacker coach. And Cush is probably like, I just tell them to hit people, man. Just hit people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. That'll be interesting to watch. All right. And then the other uh, exit from the building, this is the one that kind of has everybody up in arms. I don't know if it should be as an up in arms as what people think. Um, the only reason I think it should be is just how long he's been with the organization, and that's Chris Olson. Uh, Chris Olson, for people who don't know, was basically our cap guy. He was the one that would structure contracts and sign free agents. Um he was also a part of the GM committee. He, from what I understand, he re-upped when Bill O'Brien re-upped. So he has another three years left on his contract. Um, uh, shocking? No. Uh, but that's only because I understand what's coming our way. But I think, like, okay, like maybe the longest tenured front office Texans guy is gone now. Uh, that 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 to me is a little bit concerning. But then again, when you think about it, like when we've watched what Bill O'Brien has done with not having his guys, he doesn't like not having his guys. 
He likes his guys. He's always liked his guys, no matter what it is. I mean, he's been through two GMs. And I think Chris Olsen just wasn't one of his guys. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I understand that Chris Olsen has a lot of respect, but Chris Olsen also put us in cap hell for a little bit there. Then he learned how to restructure and, and change the structure of contracts, and, you know, we ended up in being in a better place. But um, I think I'm not really too worried about it, to be honest with you. I think it's, in in my eyes and in my hopes, I think that it's this more that Bill O'Brien's trying to get away from being as conservative as they have been. Chris Olsen, yeah, he got us out of cap hell. Um, however, he has been extremely conservative with our contracts. We have been, after several big name free agents the past couple of years, landed and missed on everyone. Yeah, and that right there is everything. We haven't, we haven't landed one. It would be one thing if it was a conscious decision not to go after these guys, but it's known that we've swung and missed on every front. Could you imagine our offensive line this year if we had if we had signed Saffold? Like, oh, oh, dear yeah. God. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I love Fulton, but... Yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah. I mean, just if we had actually pulled that off with everything else the way that it, it's gone, it's like, oh, dear God. Right. That offensive line would have been a top five unit. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would have. I mean, no, other than... Tunsil would have... Tunsil would have still dropped us on our own with the false starts, but whatever. But we also still would have Chris Clark at right tackle, so. You know, I think, no. Top 10, maybe. Uh, Top no, five. no. But I'm just saying that you put that out there. And then and then it's like Tyron Matthew ended up having a really good year. It, if we had, I, I'm, I'm still, granted, I've swung back towards I wish we'd kept Tyron Matthew after KJX. Because of how it turned out. Last year, I mean, Jackson playing safety was absolutely amazing. But Tyron Matthew, when the Chiefs let him be Tyron Matthew, okay. I hate to admit it because he's pissed off a lot of people in Houston. But if we had allowed Tyron Matthew to be that Tyron Matthew with our defense, two years ago... Actually, no. Yeah, it was two years ago before we'd signed Tyron Matthew when I put up my dream defense. And we'd kind of talked about it, and we had talked about the pieces, and I said that Tyron Matthew is that hybrid linebacker safety that kind of roams. You got to see that on the Chiefs. We didn't get to see it on the Texans. And, yeah, this is – he. we should have signed him. I will say this. Um I would have still rather had Kareem Jackson over Tyron Matthew this this last season uh, for two reasons. One, homegrown talent that was drafted and developed here. Uh, this is kind of what you like to see. And then two, I just think that he would have fit better on this team this year than Honey Badger would have. Also, you just have to keep in mind, like we didn't play Honey Badger the way that he should have been played. I mean, he, he said it multiple times. He, he wanted to come in and play free safety. We didn't let him just do that. We, we lined him up in slot. We did a lot of different things. And he wasn't able to be the best player that he could be. Um, I have actually messaged Honey Badger 
uh, last week and apologized and uh, kind of told him my thought process just in one message, and he responded, and he was cool about it. So, uh, I mean, like, I, I agree, like, it was unfair for us to judge Honey Badger based on what we saw on the Texans because when we signed him, we were both really excited about it. I mean, I think we actually did a podcast specifically about it. Um, so, yeah, it didn't meet the expectations that we had. But he had an amazing year this year. He really was an amazing player. They use him properly. He fits the scheme. He fits what they want to do. And he, he's the captain of their defense. I mean, <clears throat> there's really nothing else to say. Honey Badger was extremely good this year. He deserved everything that he got. So, um, all right. John, anything else we need to get to tonight? Nope. We got a... Yes. Sorry, my computer did something strange. We've got a long off season. We got a whole bunch of things that are going to pop up that we're going to have to talk about. Yep. So. And just a shout out Preston because he's in our chat just saying crazy things. Uh, go be a Cowboys fan then, dude. Seriously. Yeah. Goodbye. Go be a uh, Cowboys fan. I mean, still edit our podcast. We need you. But go be a Cowboys fan. <laughs> Just don't tell us you're a Cowboys fan. No. I guess. Uh, all right. With that being said, guys, I'm Young Ari Gold, signing off for Texans Unfiltered. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Just search Texans Unfiltered. Uh, you can follow us on everywhere. The outro will take care of everything. And with that being said, I will catch you guys next week. Loved this episode of Texans Unfiltered? We'd love for you to be a Patreon supporter. Your support allows us to provide you with the best Texans podcast possible. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HoustonFBPod and everywhere podcasts can be found. And join our community on www.texansunfiltered.com or on Discord at Texans Unfiltered. Thank you for listening. Until next time.